Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Lori Rowlandson, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation at BGIS, gives us five things we need to know about designing a successful employee experience program and why it matters in today's talent search. Hi everyone, it's Lori Rowlandson, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation for BGIS. I'm so delighted to be your host for this short podcast recording live from the Cornet Podcast Parlor. My topic today is the five things you need to know about designing successful employee experience programs. And I'm gonna share with you some great hindsight and lessons learned embedded in here. Quick introduction about BGIS, if you already don't know who BGIS is. We are a boutique FM firm, we're pretty small. We have about 8,000 employees globally. Our strongest presence is in Canada, US, Australia, New Zealand. And we have a full range of fully integrated Cree services, but we're really purpose-built for recurring FM services. And our offering is more technically led, not brokerage led or soft services led, which makes us distinct in our industry. It's another way of saying, I work with engineers and they love data. And we have lots of left brain fun solving things, including employee experience, which I'm really excited to talk to you about today. Okay, so onwards. I'm here in person at Cornet this week, and the theme for this year's summit is Experience Matters. It's not just experience, it's personal. And as an FYI, if you were not able to attend the summit in person, I hope you get a chance in the future. It's really worthwhile. And I really thank the Cornet team for diversifying the way information can be received, such as live casts and podcasts, just like this, for example, because the learnings you get here at Cornet are way too important to pass up. But if you attended the conference, or even if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you realize by now what a critical role corporate real estate plays in employee experience. Professions like IT and Cree and HR, I'm sure you've heard of the traditional three-legged stool. That metaphor has been around for a while. Uh, We've been hearing that for quite some time, but Cree continues to evolve and change. And it's evolved way beyond workplace strategy and design to be around people. It's around people being first. Everything is in servitude of people, meaning our employees and the occupants of our workspaces. So the shift towards experience is reflective of a new theme. And by the way, I I think it's also how we're looking at data as well to become much more outcome-based, starting with why we do it and who we do it for versus explaining in minute detail how we do it. It's really much more pivoted around outcomes. And I, I really think this is reflective of one of the most valuable skills that we humans need to have in corporate real estate, and that is around design thinking. And if you haven't heard this term before, you need to get familiar with it. And there's some great books on this topic, by the way. Uh, If you connect with me on LinkedIn, I'll share with you my full reading list. But you need to know about design thinking concepts because it's really permeating every single way of how we work and how we design experiences in the future. So in the short talk, what I'm going to do is discuss the five things that you need to know about designing successful employee experience programs. And because I work with a bunch of And because I work with a bunch of engineers, I'm probably going to share with you a different perspective because engineers like to measure everything. And there's an expression, what gets measured gets managed, but what gets measured gets valued in our company. But, you know, I think a lot of other companies are like that too when you get down to brass tacks because C-suites still care about using numbers in the business cases. So I'm going to give you a different orientation that's really around data-driven employee experience. 
So the tips I'm going to share with you are not only success factors, but will help you get more towards a measured and accountable closed loop approach to employee experience. And I have about 15 minutes to do this, so I'm going to go pretty fast and pack in as much as possible. But if you have any questions or you want to discuss anything I'm going to mention, just ping me and I'll be happy to arrange a call. But before we get into the five tips, I just want to do a very quick victory lap over why employee experience matters. So the first why, the number of people that are about to leave the labor market are outnumbering those that are, that are about to join it. And what that means is there's a war for talent, and that's really why. And what it's causing companies to do is compete and attract to retain the best employees. So that's really what's inspired a lot of these programs and wellness and some of these other things. It's a commitment to employees to attract and enhance brand. So not only is there not enough of the, the number of employees, there's a proportionately obviously smaller group of talent. So everybody wants the A team, right? There's lots of B and C and D players. Everybody wants the A team, but there's fewer and fewer of them. Uh, so we got, it's more competition is what I'm saying for the A team. And let's face it, employees power our business. Talent is any company's biggest asset. So there's an interesting statistic I heard here at Cornet where 64% of CEOs are concerned about the availability of key skills. So the number one why is the availability of talent. And the number two why is to really enable productivity and breakthrough thinking. We've heard a lot about that at the different breakout sessions this week. The people are the number one expense. So companies are trying to ensure that their top talent that they've worked so hard to get are being used to their maximum brilliance, <laughs> their maximum potential. And there's some staggering statistics around the lack of engagement. If you look at Harvard Business Review, which is one of my favorite publications, by the way, they say that only 16% of employees are highly engaged, which means 84% are not fully engaged. And another statistic I heard yesterday at Coronet was that 51% of employees are currently seeking another job, which means that a really high percentage of that 84% are disengaged with their role, which is really frightening. And why number three is businesses need to move much faster than they ever have been before to stay competitive, and they'll therefore rely more on innovation to stay competitive. So simply put, the employee experience drives culture, and culture is the mental lubricant of innovation. Okay, here we go. The five things you need to know about designing successful employee experience programs. Number one, employee experience is way more than just a greeter or a glorified receptionist. And sure, first experience is, is part of it, but that's not the only thing. So in the 1.0 version of these programs, they thought that just installing somebody that is helpful and cheerful in the front lobby is the answer. But as I think we've grown in our level of sophistication and understanding, it's way more than hiring somebody with a pleasant and bubbly attitude at the front desk. Typically, these workplace ambassadors, let's call them, move everywhere through the building and they act as sensors. And people, I think, are the best sensors. Humans read what humans want the best. And they observe how effective the workplace is and they take responsibility and action in the moment to solve an issue. So these people float around and they're found everywhere on the floor and in the building. They really look at it from a fresh eyes and ears about what they want to achieve, just aligned with the goals. It could be cleanliness, it could be productivity, it could be experience, whatever those are. But their main job is to observe and hack whatever barriers to progress employees might experience, both proactively and reactively. And let me just talk very briefly about that for a second. So what do I mean by reactively? So let's say one of these workplace ambassadors 
uh, observe somebody cursing at the photocopier because it's out of ink or paper and they're late for a meeting. Uh, the workplace ambassador runs over to the supply room. They not only know what to do, but they have the key and they know how to fix it. They've been trained on how to fix it. So they've been trained on essentially the top barriers, the top 10 barriers to employee progress, and they have the authority and the knowledge to solve it in the moment rather than employees trying to fend for themselves and figure it out, which is, wastes the time and talent of these great minds. So they, these workplace ambassadors observe and take action without anyone having to ask them to do it. This is really important. They're very empowered. And if you look at the traditional way we do FM, it's really, oh, somebody would have to get mad enough that they call the call center, press the button in the language of their choice, wait a few seconds to get an operator, or they go in online, they could be, but they have to take time to do something. Whereas these people deal with things preemptively in the moment, which is really important. And as I think there's a statistic, a statistic that um, if you have one complaint, it's probably reflective of 10 complaints, because not everybody picks up the phone to call in and register it, because... It's, you know, it takes time out of their day. So these workplace ambassadors proactively run around the floor. They're equipped with the knowledge to do it. And other proactive functions can be woven into their responsibilities and their job description, getting into some really interesting discussions on what should be included in the job description, and they're expanding it, and they're crossing over into all kinds of cool things. But I'll give you a couple of specific examples, such as onboarding of new employees, things like security pass admin, photocopy, uh, photocopier training, office tours, just helping them with optimum navigation, catering, parking passes, I mean, you name it. Fold any of the annoying self-serve admin functions that we tend to traditionally downward delegate on your top talent in their first week, forcing them to find what they need and they're new and they don't know where things are. They click on the link and they fill out a bunch of forms. Oh my God, it's a waste of their brilliant time. So find out what those are and create a Disney-like concierge experience. Be like the valet of your new employees is the philosophy that I like to think of. And fold those into your workplace ambassador support function. It's not just for onboarding. It can be for anything that employees need to be productive. We've actually had some really great crossovers from the hospitality industry. It, it just think about the training that any employee in a five-star hotel would get. And we need to be doing more of the same thing in corporate real estate. And we're here in Anaheim, so it, it really is underlined. Think about the training that each of the Disney cast members gets. Because they're there, they're in the front line, and you feel magical when you come out of Disney because everybody's stayed in character, no matter what happens. And kids spill their popcorn, and they're screaming, and there's, you know, kids are sick. Like, all kinds of a commotion happens. Uh, so, but they stay in character, and they create that magical experience regardless of what's happening. So... Translating that into corporate real estate, anyone who provides a support function in the building, it could be food services, FM, mailroom, whatever, security, anything, they all must become cast members in the employee experience. So think about using the hospitality industry and their training programs to inspire your programs. One last lesson learned, do not disconnect the workplace ambassadors from your FM programming. You need to sort out roles and responsibilities. There will be blurred lines that you'll need to sort out. Traditional FM is about calling into a call center and reacting and dealing, but these people deal with things in the moment, and it's a very different and proactive approach to FM. The role of the workplace manager is intrinsically connected to FM, and if they're separate in your workplace strategy and how you've executed it, 
there's a good risk that you're probably overspending with duplicate resources. And not only that, you're probably introducing disconnections with your FM delivery. In other words, the handoff process. It's just naturally fractured. So what we're seeing is FM companies are starting to naturally work this way, so you don't need redundant resources. Like, how could we work differently instead of adding new and more people in? So that's interesting. Okay. The second thing you need to know about designing successful employee experience programs is around data. How do you measure workplace experience? And again, I mentioned work with engineers, we care about the data and using that to continuously improve. And I would love to go into way more detail here. I, go, I do two-day workshops on this and I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years, two years in fact, studying how to measure culture and experience. I've only got a few minutes with you and I can absolutely tell you that it can be measured and it fuels your continuous, program, uh, continuous improvement program. You must do this. And I know people think it can't be done, but you absolutely can do it. And let's face it, there's simple and complex ways that you can do it, but I'm all about simplicity to get progress. So you'll be surprised. Let's just start with, you'll be surprised how much data you already have that exists that you can use without having to invest in new technologies and fancy apps and sensors. And let's face it, that really makes the business case very challenging. But look first to your existing data and just be really clever about how you organize the existing data sources into a different kind of balanced scorecard. Now, the data type and where does it come from? Let's talk briefly about that. Workplace experience data should be a balance of passive and active data. And what, what do I mean by that? So let's start with passive data. What is passive data? So passive data is based on observations of human behavior patterns. So humans don't actually have to do anything to submit the feedback. It's based on observations of how they're using the space. What are they doing on a continual basis? People vote with their feet and their behinds and choosing where to sit and where they park and where they eat and if they're using the dry cleaning services or other amenities or not. So observe people's natural behavior. They, they vote with their habits. Examples of passive data include utilization of space, um, use of work settings. Is everybody in the collaboration area or are they in the library in the heads down focus areas? Use of amenities. The dry cleaning example is a great one. We used to have more, uh, a more structured dress code. We've gone to a much more informal. People are dry cleaning their clothes less, so maybe we don't need those on-site dry cleaners anymore. Maybe we could put in another amenity that's more valuable to our employees. Um, Utilization of employee programs in HR, such as wellness programs. Um, understanding how many people prefer to come to the office versus work from home. And of course, what we're trying to do now is design great workplaces where people want to go to work because it's the most productive place that they could work. Other things are actual availability of meeting rooms versus what's been scheduled. There's always a disparity there. You know, you go walk around, all the meeting rooms are empty, but the bookings are full. Um, so just keep an eye on observations. What do people prefer? What do they avoid? What are people actually using? So that's passive data. Active data is information that humans actually have to do something to provide the information to you. They have to take some kind of action for the information to get to you. So an example is a complaint. They call into the call center or they complain to somebody. And the most common ones are janitorial, temperature, availability, etc. You know the common cast of characters. Other um, types of feedback are voluntary turnover and you know, feedback that you get at an exit interview or in Glassdoor. 
Um, how many recognition awards do you send in? That Somebody has to take action to do that. ESAT surveys uh, or voting or surveys of premises. All of that involves somebody having to do something, provide feedback. I guess the point I'm trying to make is you have to have a balance of both because active data tends to be complaints and your results will be skewed. So people rarely pick, pick up the phone and pay a compliment. <laughs> they will pick up the phone and have a complaint and they're usually mad. So you're not getting a fair sampling, right? So remember, people vote with their habits and this is a really valuable and often overlooked source of feedback to show what employees really like or prefer. And often this is, can be done with workplace ambassadors because like I said, people are the best sensors. The last point I have under data is make sure you tie your experience program into your asset and capital plan and smart building strategy. Every time you touch a building is a chance to make it smarter. And so let's take utilization for an example. Perhaps today security pass data is okay for utilization and we all know depending on the entrance point of a building, if it's a turnstile, your accuracy rate is almost 100%, but often there's tailgating and people just swoop in behind their friends as a pack. And that can have a margin error of up to 40%. So it's not bad, it's indicative, but it might not be completely accurate. It certainly has a margin of error and typically is around 20 to 30% for security badge day, let's say. But if we're replacing the lighting in the building with smart bulbs or introducing sensors, it's a chance of upgrading that data. So instead of it having a 40% error rate, it might get up to 90 or 95. Uh, using sensors, because sensors do have you know, some margin of error as well, but it's definitely much better. And data is better to deal with emotional topics or utilization is especially emotional topic. People refute if they're, how much space they need on the CRM side, so this type of data is good, and the more accurate and credible it is, the better, but directional is good too, because that helps make us better FMs and better um, decision makers in Cree. So, Keep in mind, a lot of utilization data transfers over really well to workplace experience insights, and so does a lot of other FM data, which is, again, why I mentioned it's so intrinsically linked. So align your data, or sorry, align your, so align desired quality of data with your investment strategy, and don't overinvest where you don't need to. Don't buy the sensor if the data you already have is pretty good. So make sure you do an assessment of the quality of data before you overinvest. Okay, the third thing you need to know about designing successful employee experience programs is democratize suggestions. What that means is ask your employees. We think we know what they want. Top management makes decisions all the time based on assumptions and biases. I mean, they'll try to make their best guess, but decision makers are biased. And there is some disparity in culture and uh, persona between the baby boomer and Gen X to the newer generations that are coming through and the millennials and Gen Z. The best thing we can do to enable our top talent, which we've, by the way, worked so hard to attract, is one simple question. So <laughs> if you, you can throw out all your other engagement surveys, this is the one question. And the question is, what would make your day more productive? Listen to what they say and do whatever the heck, do the heck out of whatever they tell you. So here's the formula behind that. Number one, get the feedback. Survey or however you get it, apps or whatever you get. Get the feedback. What would make your day more productive? The second thing is organize their feedback into categories. Number three is rank them in, uh, number three is rank them based on where the most 
popular suggestions are, like what are the most popular suggestions. Number four is assign a budget to the suggestions because you need to understand what the cost impact of those suggestions will be. And if it will fit into the budget, maybe you'll only have enough budget to fit three. Maybe it'll be 11. Who knows? But the math will tell you. And then the last one is communicate your action plan to occupants. Because if somebody suggests something and they're number 17 on the list and your budget runs out 11, make them feel that they're heard and that um, the, the vote for the majority of employees was that the, the top priorities were the priorities. And then repeat. Continue to do that. It's the best insight that you will get. People will feel that you're listening to them. It's, it's really important because we don't know everything, and it's really important to listen to different generations and our employees. By the way, it's really important that we do this at a building level because a blended average is not going to work. Each building is as unique as a person. A great, this is a great way of getting occupant and business unit engagement and show, hey, we're listening to you, we hear you, and we're responding to your suggestions. Okay, the fourth thing you need to know about designing successful employee experience programs is you have to develop a hackathon-like mentality for continuous improvement. I see so often in our industry, we're so transactional-oriented. I don't mean real estate transactions, but once and done. We need to look at things as systems, as a continuous process, as a program. We ha continuous improvement and employee experience are not once and done. So I want you to help develop a hackathon-like mentality for continuous improvement that becomes a continuous process. So for example, make sure your workplace ambassadors have a daily or at least weekly huddle to exchange observations. What are the top things we noticed this week? What's working and what's not? Force yourself to summarize what are the top observations of the week? And it's great that they're dealing with things in the moment, but if they've had to deal with the same thing, let's say a room is too cold and they brought everybody blankets. <laughs> I'm just making this up. But um, they've had to do that 17 times that week. Well, it's time to call somebody in FM and deal with, look at something that's happening in the room. Maybe uh, put glazing on the window if it's too hot or get a, uh, somebody look at the HVAC system. But um, harvest the insights and boil them up into themes that you can act on. And that gives you great so problem solving and boiling it up into themes gives you great content for continuous improvement. So what do we need to evolve and keep up with the employee needs? It's so important because as we move to a more agile way of working, uh, you know, we can't be once and done. Uh, the business is going to change. What we do today in an experience program might be relevant, but the business is going to change in six months, 12 months. Business is organic and it's changing all the time. So this one simple thing, this simple huddle approach, will help you remain continuously relevant and valuable and really deal with things proactively as well as in the moment. All right, the last item I have to suggest, number five, is experience is not just with increased control, obviously. HR and IT play a significant role and decisions and solutions often go across those traditional verticals, right? And let's be honest with ourselves, even though we know we have to do it, the three legs of the stool, we're still not great at that. We could be better at that. Come on, let's admit that. One of the smartest C-suite execs I ever worked with forced his execs, and I'm talking SVP and VP level, to work together by giving them shared accountability and a joint metric or a joint KPI. 
And what that did was it forced collaboration between the different business units to measure their own success. And executives are competitive, <laughs> so they, they want to do things within their control and they're less incentivized to do things outside of their control. So by having um, a level up metric at the executive level, you'll force them to collaborate. I just thought this guy was so clever. It's boom, it was so simple and it was so clever. And it really forced them to work together and it moved them beyond empires and blame, and let's face it, we just are naturally vertically or oriented, and it really moved it and shifted to a shared accountability model. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Meeting room experiences are a key impact for employee experience, and this can be anything from the whiteboard markers that never seem to work to the screens that never seem to work, or ABC. So that involves IT, AV facilities, et cetera. Voluntary turnover, that's a really big one. Might be for a wide variety of reasons. And it forces HR, IT, and real estate to work together. So force that cross-functional governance to break down silos and force that common accountability and teamwork at a leadership level. And it also fosters breakthrough thinking, by the way. Okay, so my parting words of advice. We're about to go through more change in the next 10 years than we have in the last 40 years. Change will never happen as slowly as it is now. And 80% of the technology we're going to be using in 10 years hasn't been invented yet. 85% of the jobs available in 2035 will be based on something that hasn't yet been invented. So we have to help companies remain um, competitive by enabling innovation and creative work. And this starts with happy, engaged employees. It's how we make them feel and that amazing work culture. So if you have more than 10 years left in your career, please develop a love of learning and impart a love of learning on your children and your young leaders in our industry. They're going to need these skills like design thinking because our best skills are creativity, imagination, curiosity, and intuition. These are skills that artificial intelligence will never be able to replicate, only mimic. We heard that loud and clear from Duncan Wardle at the keynote, formerly the head of innovation creativity at Disney here at Coronet. And humans with these skills are going to be the most valuable for the future. So go ahead and install that giant xylophone at the office. <laughs> we need to be more playful and fun to inspire creative thinking, which translates into problem solving and productivity. And yes, as you've heard me say earlier, it can be measured. My last, last comment, I promise for real, is I have a ton of resources and reference material that you can link to for free books, articles on design thinking, the Disney experience, etc., employee customer experience. So just follow me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to share that with you. So this is Laurie Rowlandson at BGIS signing off. I hope you'll go out and find a way to make somebody's day magic today. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.